Cowan's Big Rig Boot Camp will be coming to you live Friday, June 17, 2022, from historic downtown San Antonio, Texas. In-person seating is already at capacity, so act now and secure your virtual spot to our professionally produced seminar, available via Zoom webinar. Visit TrialLawyerNation.com and click Seminar in our menu to join the in-person waitlist or register for virtual attendance. And to all those who already registered, be sure to contact Allison Bradley to take advantage of our exclusive 50% discount on your hotel stay. Just email Allison at Allison at CowanLaw.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N at CowanLaw.com. Register now and we'll see you there. This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You are the leader in the courtroom, and you want the jury to be looking to you for the answers. When you figure out your theory, never deviate. You want the facts to be consistent, complete, and credible. The defense has no problem running out the clock. Delay is the friend of the defense. It's tough to grow a firm by trying to hold on and micromanage. You've got to front load a simple structure for jurors to be able to hold on to. What types of creative things can we do as lawyers, even though we don't have a trial setting? Whatever you've got to do to make it real, you've got to do to make it real. But the person who needs convincing is you. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. Uh, Today, I've got my partner, Mallory Peacock, back. Uh, Welcome, Mallory. Thanks. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to have you. Mallory was out for three months on maternity leave, and she is back working. Uh, everything going great so far? Yeah, everything's good. My little boy is happy and healthy, and uh, you know I appreciate everybody's prayers um, for for me and him. I got a lot of really nice messages um, from a lot of listeners, and I really appreciate it. Well, today's topic is going to be a, a timely one for you, uh, but I think really a timely one for everyone. And we're going to talk about dealing with change, and I think not just dealing with change, but thriving in a constantly changing world. Um, so you've dealt with some changes recently. Yes. Yeah. Big changes in my life, <laughs> but personal, you know, I mean, having a baby is a, a big change. A, a lot of people out there I know that listen, have kids so they can relate. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something that's really important, uh, because no matter how much we work on setting up our lives, setting up our businesses to, to thrive the way we want them, things are going to change. Uh, and I want to talk about some of the types of changes that that we all as as you know, not just lawyers and law firm owners, but as human beings are going to deal with. So we have, you know, personal life changes. I mean, we get married. Unfortunately, some people get divorced. Uh, you have children. Then your children leave you. Your business is going to change. Even people that have worked with you for a long time, you think they're going to make their career with you. Uh, sometimes they find greener pastures and they leave. Uh the law will change. If you practice long enough, a case will come out, the, a, a statute will get passed, and it will make a change to the way you practice, a change to your business. Uh, and then there's the intentional change. There's changes that we choose to make to try to improve our lives and improve our practices. And, and, and how do we deal with those? And how do we keep a team motivated in, in dealing with those? So let's start with some of the personal changes. So I'm going to do a big one, and it's kind of not what 
maybe what I was thinking of at first, but how did you deal with the first change of not working for three months? Um, you know, the first few weeks I was like a zombie, so it was pretty easy <laughs> to not think about work because I was not sleeping. And, um, you know, if anybody remembers the baby days, that's tough. Um, but after that, you know, once we had a routine, once we, um, were kind of in a groove, it was hard to not at least think about my cases, <laughs> um, because I care a lot about my clients and I care about my work and I care about my cases. Um, so it was hard. Uh, the good news is that I still had access to, of course, all of our systems and things. So pretty much every day I would check in on the cases secretly. Um, so that nobody would ask me any questions, but I could kind of linger in the background and see what was going on. Um, cause I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then I'd get an email from you, you know, like I would, I would put a note in the file, like we're going to do something. And then I'd, you'd you wouldn't send it to anyone else, but you'd send me an email, by the way, <laughs> be sure to remember this, or you could do this. <laughs> yeah. And it was appreciated. I would never, ever ask you, uh, to check in on cases while you're on maternity leave, but, uh, I, I did appreciate the dedication and I imagine, uh, you probably appreciated going back to your normal life a little bit and, and, uh, and, you know, going back to that and not just, you know, babies are fun and cute, but they're overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I learned that stay at home mom life is not for me and people who can do that are better people than me. <laughs> That's all I can say. I, it's, that would be a hard life and a hard job. And not that what we don't, we do isn't hard. It's just different and it's what I'm used to. And so it is nice to kind of get back in a groove and start working again. I mean, I love what I do, so I missed it. <laughs> yeah, well, we missed you too. And I'm realizing that too by my wife, she's okay, it's very mild, but she came down with COVID yesterday, so we kicked her to the guest house, like she kicked me to the guest house uh, for her quarantine period, which meant yesterday I had to you know, not only go find all the things that I didn't know where they were in the house that she needed uh, to have out there between you know, medicine, where, I don't know where she keeps her pajamas, you know, those kind of things. I don't know where she keeps the thermometer. I just, uh, you know, just whenever I needed it, I asked where it was and she'd get it for me. Uh, but also, you know, helping, you know, making sure my kid gets bathed and, and uh, making his lunch and washing the dishes and ironing the clothes for the kids school tomorrow. You know, I got to add all that stuff in at the end of my day, you know, which is not what I normally do. I don't mind doing it, but I, I could see that. You know, it wasn't my plan for the day. A change come through, and you know, I had to, I had a choice to make. Do I get annoyed by it? Do I get mad about it? Or do I just embrace it and say, you know, I love my family. My wife's out for temporarily, so I'm going to step up for, you know, ten days and and uh, do my part. And that's what I chose to do. And so, you know, it, but it was interesting though because I get someone calling, texting me, and then calling me on a new case because he's used to me being very responsive. And, you know, I'm having to say, dude, I just can't deal with this right now. I mean, we will talk in the morning, you know, and there was that initial fear, like, well, what if because I'm not giving him the love that he and I normally give, maybe he'll take that case somewhere else. But, you know, it turned out that asking someone to wait 12, 13 hours and talking to them at eight this morning was just fine. Yeah, I think sometimes when things change, we're our biggest enemy that we think what goes on in our head about the change, the fear of it, the anxiety about it is worse than what actually ends up happening. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the, you know, first of all, giving up the illusion that we have control over anything now is important. Uh, I mean, we try our best to control our lives and get good systems and, and habits in place. But at the end of the day, we don't control other people. We don't control the environment. We don't control the courts or the law or our clients or anything else. And so, you know, thinking that if things don't change, somehow they're all going to go exactly to plan is an illusion. 
but the other thing is, you know, change isn't always bad. Yeah. There's a lot of really great changes for me. I mean, having a baby is great. I mean, it's a, it's a new chapter in my life and it's very exciting. It's tough and it's a challenge, but it's, um, it's a great change for me. Yeah. And another change that, you know, we have to deal with, you know, as, as our law firm gets bigger, you know, employee change is just, unfortunately, as, as much as we want to treat people well, and, you know, we try to pay people well, we try to treat them nicely, we try to keep great benefits, but people do leave. And even people that work with you for a long time leave. And sometimes they leave because they're frustrated with you. Sometimes they leave because they got a great opportunity or they always wanted to, you know, they had their own dream and and I can't fault anyone for leaving because, you know, 2006 to 2008, and I went to go work for another law firm, made more money than I'd ever made before, worked on a bunch of great cases. The My boss never treated me badly, and I left because I wanted to do my own thing, because I wanted to be happy, and I didn't think that in the long run, as, as nice as he was to me, I didn't think working there would make me happy because, I, you know, I don't think he had the right mindset for happiness. And so I can't be mad at other people, but it is, uh, it's always scary. And, it, and it's a ton of work because you have to figure out, okay, what did this person do? Especially non-lawyers. Lawyers is a little easier because you just jump in there and do it. But the non-lawyers, you know, what did, what did this person do? How do we replace this person? You know, and so it's, you know, it's easy to kind of get down or get frustrated or, or get scared. Like, okay, oh my gosh, they're going to be gone. How, how's this work going to get done? Am I going to have to work, you know, 24 hour days again? Yeah, no, it's, it's, kind of part of it. I think there's an idea that people have that, especially in business, that you're going to get your core group of people together and you're just going to be together forever and it's all going to work. Um, I know we've, we've had that conversation before with our office manager, which is, you know, it's still a job to a lot of people and they're going to come and they're going to go and there's always going to be turnover and you're just going to have to, we're all going to have to deal with it. Um, especially if you have more than one employee um, at your law firm, that it's just turnover is part of the business and it's part of every business. It's not your business. It's not that people are out to get you uniquely or anything like that. Everybody has it in their business and um, how you deal with it is you can either deal with it with the right attitude or the wrong attitude, I guess. The wrong attitude can make it a real struggle um, and the right attitude can make it an opportunity. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, even when you have a great employee leave, I think the the mindset is, OK, this is an opportunity to upgrade to me, no matter whether it's one person, whether it's multiple people. How do we you know, can we can we find a way to make this even better than what we have now? You know, what are, what are the weaknesses we had? What are the strengths this person had? How do we find someone that had those strengths? Are there things that weren't going as well as they could have where we can prove and get even better? And I think those things, you know, if we look at it as, OK, we're we have to mourn it. And I think, you know, when our. Last key person that's, you know, recently gave notice. We had to give ourselves a little mourning period before we to deal with emotions. Um, but then it's just like, okay, let's let's come, let's make a plan. How are we going to make this even better going forward? And I think, you know, you and I had some really good meetings and uh, and did this that. I think another thing that's important, and this book has a horrible title. It, it, it really, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that this book has been a a, a, a positive effect on me because of the title, but it really, it's not as bad as it sounds. The author's just trying to talk tough. It's called the no BS guide to the ruthless management of profits and people. And when I was first told to read it, you know, I didn't like that word ruthless because I, I don't want to be ruthless with my people. I, you know, I, I, I like the people we work with. I want to treat everybody well. I want to be fair. I want to pay people well, treat them as human beings uh, and, and hopefully, you know, be, be thought of well in return. But 
you know, some good points he does make in that book. And like I said, it's not as bad as it sounds is the title. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's for marketing and he's selling his certain shtick when he's uh, writing the book. But it's just you need to be realistic about how the employee relationship is and how people see you. And no matter how great you treat somebody and you should treat your people great. Don't, don't get me wrong. But don't expect to feel any particular gratitude or loyalty, because when you treat people great, most people think, yes, I deserve to be treated great. I am. Uh, in fact, most people think, well, look how much money you're making. Look at what great life you have. You, you know, uh, most people, no matter how well you treat them, are going to think that you're doing better than you should and that they're not doing quite as well as they should. Uh, and that's just life. Even if you're not, even when I've opened my books to people that look, I'm not doing as well as you thought I did at certain points in my career. Uh, that's just human nature. And, it, and if you have this fantasy or illusion that you live under that, you know, they're going to be super appreciative and loving and loyal. Uh, you know, we just dealt with that when COVID started. We were the first, one of the first people to go all remote when people were telling me I was crazy to go all remote because we were, you know, I was worried about people getting sick back when there was no cure. Well, two years later, when we're telling people that come back to the office, are we getting, oh, well, thank you so much for letting me work from home for two years and for borrowing a million dollars when everything was crashing around to make sure you didn't have to lay any of us off. No, we got people upset that they had to come back to the office. And and we may lose some uh, from that. And and that's just, uh, well, I'm not going to say I wasn't a little hurt, but I got over it because it's just you have to be realistic on how people are going to see the employment relationship. And I think some of it is just a little self-reflection. You know, how did you see the world when you were an employee? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's right. I think, um, you know, psychologically, I think it's healthy for people to think, well, I deserve to be treated well because I'm a good employee because it shows you that they're committed to your goal, that they think that they're doing the best that they can, that they think they're doing a good job. Um, if people thought, eh, I'm kind of a mediocre employee, so whatever, um, <laughs> then, then you know they're not committed to your goal, that they're not committed to the firm, they're not committed to their job. So that would be a separate problem. So you know, I mean, I think it comes hand in hand when you get people that really try and really put put in a really great effort for your firm and your business, then it comes with some psychological component. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think it's two parts. When you when you have change is one, don't pretend like you have no fear. When people leave you, don't pretend like it doesn't hurt. Uh, because I think letting yourself have that that morning or process. It's like when we don't do as well as we could on a case, do I let that consume me? No. But do I let myself feel it? I mean, heck, even after our biggest verdict, you and I were driving back and I told you this feels incomplete. It should have been bigger. Uh, you know, it's just, you can't deny your feelings uh, on these things or it will, then it will eat you up. If you, if you just, you know, like the old sign called serenity now, serenity now, you know, just saying that to yourself. And then they say serenity now and serenity later. You know, you don't deal with the emotion and then sooner or later you blow up or, or you get depressed or, you know. But so I think, you know, letting yourself feel it, but then don't wallow in it. Like, give your, like you know, for me, it's you said, I'm going to give myself 12 to 24 hours. I'm going to feel what it feels. I'm going to find someone that I can trust. I'm going to vent to whom I can vent. And, you know, like when I vent to you, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for a solution or to be totally better. I just want you to listen to me and then, then it's gone. Uh, but then after that, it's like, OK, we have a situation. Things are changing. How do we make this even better? Yeah, I think I think that's right. And allowing the people that might also have feelings about it around you vent and have feelings about it, um, yes. you know, because it's if, especially if you've structured your firm the way um, Michael has 
you know, you have a management team, you have people that are committed to the goal and to the business that are in management, they might have feelings about it too. And so we, we actually have a meeting where we just all put our feelings on the table about how we feel about someone leaving and, and what we think about it. And then we've done it and we've all said our piece and we've gotten it off our chest and we've allowed each other to have that space to, to vent. And then we start looking towards what we call the opportunity or how we're going to move forward. And sometimes you move forward and, you know, if there's a certain person that quits, so let's say, uh, this is not what happened in our firm, but let's say a receptionist quits, (laughs) um, you know, and you say, you know, uh, what we had for a receptionist was pretty good before. I don't think we really need to make much changes. We just need to hire someone new for that role. Or if you have, for example, a lawyer that quits and you say, well, you know, I think that we could have had some different systems in place to help this person or to monitor this person a little better. So here's our opportunity for someone coming in new to have those systems in place. Now, you just have to evaluate it and look at it and and be real with yourself about while the person leaving made their own choice, there's some choices that you could make to, to get better in the future. I think it also shows that you really need to have as much of it as a, it is a pain to do this. You need to have documented systems and make sure that they're followed. Because even if you have the most loyal employee who never wants to leave, they could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Yes. Uh, you know, you, you just you never know what's going to happen uh, other than that something that change is going to happen. Uh, so I'm gonna, two things is one. First, one is the most dangerous number of anything. And so if you have what and sometimes you're stuck with it, you have like one person like we have like one manager. You have to have one person managing. Uh, but can we have other people that, you know, and I, and I pray that we, our manager never leaves it. I don't see any issues there, but, you know, if, but you still need to have other people that know how to do her job and, and you have to have written down what she does and how it's done. And uh, lawyers, especially, we have to like, this is how we do things. These are our systems. These are our forms. Uh, not that you use a form for everything. We're not McDonald's, but, you know, <laughs> you use a form to start and you, you have a knowledge base. And that way, if someone leaves or if you grow, that's another kind of positive change you know, you're able to bring someone in and, and show them how to do the job. And so, but, you know, if you only have one associate or you only have like one person in whatever de- your accounting department and that person leaves, it's chaos. So, you know, I think if possible, if, if you have the money to do it, always have at least two. Uh, and that way, you know, unless they both leave, which is also possible, but I mean, at least you have, you know, you have the ability to uh, make it a little less painful when things change over when you have more than one person working in an area. Yeah. And I think on the same lines of having procedures and things to follow, having people document what they do um, is important. It it seems tedious to people. You know, why, why do I have to constantly write every single phone call down that I have with my client? Why do I need to, why do I need to, you know, document my file every time I do something? But it's because if someone leaves or if someone gets hit by a bus, um, you can pick up right where they left off with almost seamlessly. Um, And, you know, we tell people too, what if, what if you're not going to leave? What if you don't get hit by a bus? But what if you have to be out for a week because you need to, you know, go be with your family because something something has happened or, you know, I mean, or what if you just want to take a week-long vacation? People need to be able to pick up where you left off and fill in for you. Otherwise, your life is chaos. Otherwise, you you can't live the life that you need to live um, if you haven't documented your file and we have to call you every five minutes on your vacation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. 
You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. I think we also, you know, we don't just deal with changes, you know, in our businesses and organizations, but as personal injury lawyers, particularly, we, we, I have seen it over and over again the last 20 something years I've been practicing. Uh, the law's going to change. You know, I started right when they basically took lawyers out of workers' compensation in Texas. And that was like one of the biggest practice areas. It, you weren't going to get rich off one case, but it was not a really hard way to make cases. People got a lot of trial experience on it. And, and it was like a steady, easy income. Uh, and they basically made it where you can't, a lawyer really can't make money doing workers' comp in Texas anymore. Uh, and it's been like that. And, you know, a lot of people uh, didn't react quickly enough to that change and uh, either went out of the PI business or got into incredible financial problems. And then we've seen, you know, medical malpractice uh, caps in Texas. We've seen recently we have a case law that lets the, you know, the when, when a client who doesn't have health insurance treats on a letter of protection and or even if someone goes to the hospital and the hospital charges at the charge master rate because they don't they choose not to build an insurance company for whatever reason. Uh, now the defense can do discovery on what the, the medical provider would take from private insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, and present that evidence to the jury. Uh, and it's a lot harder for us to prove up our medical bills. And then, you know, for all become a fight about the medical bill, there's no energy left for anything else. And so, you know, there's two camps of lawyers on that. There's people that are just trying to find a way to keep doing it the old way. They want to put their blinders on and pretend like, okay, this isn't happening. I'm going to somehow get a good ruling. I'm going to, I'm going to drag this out as long as I can. And then there's other people that are saying, well, Maybe I can get more money if I don't put in my medical bill to start with. Maybe I can find other ways to get the medical bills financed. You know, using a funding company won't work anymore because the funding company is going to want to get paid a lot more than the a jury's ever going to give for that bill. And, it, and it's just going to mess everything up. So how else can what other creative arrangements can I find to get this done, to get my client what they need, to ensure they get what they need and to increase the recovery? And, and I suspect that, at you know, People that have done this and are trying cases without the medical bills are getting more money than the ones that are fighting about the medical bill. So I think, you know, if you embrace the trains and say, well, let me put my power, my, my thought, my creativity, my talent and how to make this a positive change for myself, even if it's not a change I would have chosen. Uh, I think that can go a long way. And I think that's that's how we're embracing things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially um, when there's changes in the law, I think you have to accept that one person is not as smart as everyone and getting other people's ideas and brainstorming with other lawyers and having roundtables about it and talking it out. Um, it, you know, I think that's where you're going to come up with your best ideas. So do, trying to come up with it by yourself is not necessarily recommended, but having a group of friends come together and just talk about it over drinks and say, okay, here's, here's how the law has changed. What are some of our solutions? And you're going to come up with bad solutions at first. I mean, you're going to try it and it's going to not work and, or it's going to be, too expensive or it's going to, you know, there's some reason that that solution doesn't work, but putting them all out on the table and then some of it's trial and error, see what works and see what doesn't. Um, and unfortunately that's just the way that it is. But if you embrace that sometimes it's not going to work, 
Um, when it doesn't work, it's not so catastrophic for you that you've tried other things and you have other other ideas and other ways of doing it. So you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. You know, I think one thing that is important, I do agree with you that, the, you know, finding a, a group of like-minded people that are positive, that are dedicated to doing what we do, that are creative is super important. And I think, uh, you know, we've had a lot of growth, not just collaborating within our firm, but collaborating with other other friends and other firms uh, and, and exchanging ideas and, 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 and making ourselves, making each other better. But I think there's also a danger if you end up getting with a group of people that are just all downers and, oh, it's all ending. It's horrible. I mean, I, I know people that that, you know, every single change is coming up. Oh, it's all going to be over. We're all going to be writing wills. And, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I heard it about, you know, court reform. I heard it about changes in juror attitudes. I heard about judicial elections. I've heard it about now robot cars coming and there's not going to be any more car crashes. So we're not going to be needed anymore. I mean, I, I hear like this fear from people and, and, and I think it makes sense to know, Hey, this is a possibility, you know, that's out there, but you know, I don't think it does any good to spend a lot of time with people that just want to talk about doom and gloom. And I think we just have to curate the, because we absorb other people's energy. Uh, I'm not saying that like in some like guru type way but i mean when you're around positive people you feel more positive when you're around people that are negative all the time it, it's it affects how you think and so i think we have to make an effort i'm not saying just cut people all the way out of your life you know although i have cut some people out of my life and feel better because of it because it was too much negativity and too much toxicity but in, in general you can go talk to those people talk about something else listen to them for a little while but that's not the people you need to spend your energy with when you're trying to solve the problem yeah I agree. And I think, you know, my philosophy is I try to always look at the positive of every situation um, in, in life. And I encourage other people to do the same because it just makes you a happier person. I think if you try to look at everything as a positive and, and even even stuff that's not great, you can accept that it's not great or that it's not good or that it's bad, <laughs> um, but see it as an opportunity to, to do something different or pivot or an opportunity to be creative. Yeah, I think mindset is everything. I really do. And I think that's you. You have not just been good. Working with you has not just been good for my law practice, for my bank account. But it's really you've been so good for my mental health because you're again, your positivity has rubbed up on me. I was not as positive a person when I met you. And I don't have as many of the deep downs that I used to have. And uh, and I'm not saying you're 100 percent responsible for that. I've done a lot of work on my own, but you've been a really good influence and example for me in life. And so just want to let you know, I appreciate that. And, and I think it's an example of, you know, if you can find a Mallory, don't take mine, please. But <laughs> if you can find a Mallory in your life, someone that's positive, that's creative, that, that looks for the solutions uh, instead of just moaning about the problems, it makes a huge difference. Well, thank you. <laughs> I make, I make a real effort to, to be this way. So I appreciate it that, that you notice. So what do you do? What is it you do to keep yourself positive when you're when you're facing challenges? Well, I think I'm not going to lie. Part of it is just my natural personality. So, I mean, it is it's just kind of the way I've always been. But I think one of the things that I do is when something is bad, I either try to find something good about it. But sometimes there's just some, it's all bad. Sometimes there's yeah. nothing good <laughs> about it. Um, and so I try to think of the other good things in my life. Right. So yeah. this thing is bad, but I have X instead or I have Y instead. And, um, you know, or I have this opportunity to do Z. So it's I mean, I, I think one, I always try to find something good about it. And if it's just all bad, which some things are just all terrible, um, then I look at other parts of my life and 
what I have there, um, just to kind of keep me level-headed. So this bad thing has happened in my practice, for example, or this law came out that it's just terrible. Like we, I hate it. There's nothing good about it. Um, but then I tell myself, well, you know, I, at least I have my family and, you know, I, at least I have some savings. If I go out of business, I've, I've had a <laughs> conversation with myself. If, if we go out of business tomorrow and I have to go be a teacher or something, um, you know, at least I have something else I can do. You know, I'm not, I'm not totally helpless. I can do something else if I really had to. You know, I, so I have those little conversations in my head just to reassure myself that the world isn't coming to an end. Everything isn't going to crash down around us. We just have to do our best. Absolutely. And I think that's so important. I really do. And, and, it, and you know, it doesn't come as it's weird. Challenges actually excite me. So that's that actually comes like when something bad's happening, finding a challenge that comes naturally to me. But sustaining the positive attitude does not come as naturally to me. So I just have to just do a lot of self-talk. And so. You know, I drive my 10-year-old to school in the mornings, and I'm like, Gavin, we're going to have a great day today because we're going to decide to have a great day today. And I just tell him that almost every morning, what are we going to do to make today great? How's today going to be a great day? And just choose that, you know, yes, I know that not everything's going to be perfect today, but, you know, this is the day I have, so I want to make the best out of it. And, you know, it sounds silly. I thought it was, like, really hokey when I first heard it, but it works. That's so funny that you say that because my three-month-old obviously doesn't talk back to me at this point. <laughs> um, but I talk to him on the way when I'm driving him to school in the morning or to daycare in the morning. And I just talk, you know, and just so that he can hear my voice. And, you know, I just think it's good that he hears me talk. And I kind of narrate our trip to school. Awesome. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, I say, we're driving down 410 now, you know, and the highway. And then um, so one of the roads we pass every morning is a road called Magic. And every oh. time we pass it, I say, oh, Ender, Ender is my son's name. Ender, we're at Magic in Fredericksburg. That means we're going to have a magical day. And I just say it out loud. And it's silly because he can't respond to me or even know what I'm saying. But I just feel like in my mind, just saying it out loud sometimes makes you feel like, okay, I am going to have a magical day. <laughs> you know. The other thing that helps me is I just go back and think about all the things that I have overcome. I mean, honestly, if you told me well, if you told me in 1992 when I got accepted to law school, or even if you told me in 1997, 1998 when I started, you know, 1997 when I started doing plaintiff's work, that my life would end up the way it is now, I would not have believed you. I would not have dared dream that I would have the life I have. Uh, and so just remembering, like, I've overcome a lot, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, and lots of other people have too. And there's nothing I can't overcome. Uh, and so... Yeah, change is annoying. I mean, it, it is. It, it is. It would be nice to just get on a groove and have everything. You know, I think I said, like, can I just have like one quarter, like three months, <laughs> where just like it's stable. I can just get my life the way I want it, and just three months is all I'm asking for. But it, it doesn't happen. I, I I very rarely have a three month quarter without a full quarter without something happening. It's not always something major or catastrophic, but about something happening that we have to change and. Uh, you know, so I think it's just learning to to embrace that change, uh, accept the positive, while not pretending like the negative feelings aren't there at all because you have to deal with it. Speaking of change, uh, this is going to be a little advertisement, but uh, we have uh, some changes to trucking law that have happened in Texas and uh, may be coming to other states. Hopefully not. Uh, some states are changing in a positive way. Illinois just had a great case coming out allowing direct negligence, even when you don't have gross negligence, even when the employer stipulates to the course and scope. Uh, Texas, we passed a law that we thought was really bad at first, but now that we're looking at it closely, uh, isn't so bad. And so if you want to learn about that, 
Uh, we're having our big rig boot camp coming up in June. We're sold out. I say sold out, it's free, but I mean, all the in-person spaces are taken up, but we do have a virtual attendance still available. So if anybody wants to learn about how we're embracing change and how we're planning to thrive in the age of trucking tort reform, you know, as long as you're a plaintiff lawyer, my defense friends, I know some of you listen, but you can't, uh, you can't listen to that one. Uh, we screen people <laughs> before they get in. Uh, but uh, please join us. Uh, we believe one of our core values is sharing what we know because we think the rising tide lifts all boats. And uh, I, I've learned a lot. I've brainstormed with a lot of other people. And I'm really excited to share our ideas about how to embrace the change and make it a positive change, even though it's scary at first. Um, and, you know, different creative strategies to continue to maximize our cases in the age of, uh, of unfortunately, some some changes to trucking law in some states like Texas. Yeah, I'm excited. There is an opportunity here. So people who think it's all doom and gloom, there's some opportunities, remember. Um, and, you know, there's there we have some solutions. So I hope that some of y'all can make it. I think there is a wait list too, Michael. So I think if people are going to drop out, if you really want to come in person, let us know and we can put you on the wait list too. Absolutely. Well, that being said, thank you so much, Mallory. It's great to have you back on the show. I've, you know, really enjoyed... We hung out a little bit while you're up apparently, but I've really enjoyed seeing you on a on a daily basis again, and and I love getting back here and talking to you again. Uh, I hope everyone else enjoyed this visit, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan. It is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.